Hello and welcome to NG Meets. This is episode 21 and the guest this week is author Mike Brooks. Uh, I've known Mike for quite a long time now, having met him uh, about a decade back through music and I've been following his writing career closely and it was great to have a chat with him about uh, the books he's released today, including the Kiko series, which is a fantastic trilogy, which we talk about his uh, work for, for Games Workshop. And the his first novel for that, Rights of Passage, is available now. You can get that at games-workshop.com and obviously in uh, in any Games Workshop, Warhammer World shop. And we also talk about his uh, upcoming series that has been announced. Uh, it was quite interesting to talk about that, so you'll find out more about that in the episode. Um, hopefully you enjoyed last week's show with... Uh, Olympic gold medalist and now Extinction Rebellion member Etienne Stott. That was a great episode and hopefully everyone enjoyed that. It was a great dive into uh, things with Extinction Rebellion, particularly in the aftermath of the uh, event in London and the press that received. Uh, we've got, I'll talk at the end of the episode about some of the guests we've got coming up. We've got a couple more already in the bag that I'm looking forward to telling you about at the end. Um, but for now, sit back and enjoy NG Meets episode 21 with Mike Brooks. I'm here with Mike Brooks, who uh, is an author, sometimes musician, hmm. and uh, as well as dabbling in other things. Not sure. Yeah, all sorts. Um, and uh, you've say so you joined us today. We're going to have a chat about your literary career. I guess is the best way to describe it. And mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll touch on the music. Cause obviously, I think that's how I first met you. Yeah, yeah, it um, was going ten, 10 years now. I think it was this year because it was you played. A, the very first ever gig I did at Junction what, 7. Yeah. Yeah. And that's now long gone, isn't it? And that's, yeah, flats now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And obviously that was in your XPD mm-hmm. yep. days. So, yeah, and then you've done your book deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you work, obviously you write for Games Workshop now, yep. for the Black Library. Yep. And uh, it's, it's been an interesting, it's been interesting following that sort of journey from the outside. I'm sure <laughs> well, it's been yeah. extremely interesting for you. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. So you recently, uh, probably a couple of months back now, obviously would have been longer for you, ongoing process, but you announced you'd signed a, a deal with Orbit for yeah. a, a, a three-book series. Uh, yeah, three books. Uh, that was uh, May, I think, was it was when it was officially announced, I believe. Um, actually, I, can't, I honestly can't remember it. I think it was May when we knew it was going to happen. I think it might have, actually it might have been announced much more recently because they didn't go public with it until all the paperwork was ready. Yeah. But I think it was maybe it was sorted out anyway. But that's just one of the examples of how stuff happens way in advance of anybody on the outside seeing anything and yeah. publishing. So and then you've got to obviously, you know, you you probably want to be just sort of shouting about this great news. But you've oh, got I was to seeing sit on that there. for months. Yeah. Um, going, yay! Stuff's really good. 
Can't tell anyone. Um, which is, you know, it's nice because stuff's really good. But sometimes you just want to be actually able to tell people, especially especially when your friends are are, are interested and go, oh, how's the writing going? It's like, yeah, great. Uh, can't tell you anything. Can't even tell you really, but I know something. It's, yeah. And it's yeah, and then I guess you've also got to avoid that letting it ease, the ease of just letting it slip out. Yeah, because it'd be so easy to just go. Oh well, when my new book's out, I mean, any you know, if if my new <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah. Well, no, it's been easy to talk about the one that I've been writing, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then, um, but you have to avoid giving details of you know that 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 something's actually been signed. But that's you know you get used to remembering what you can say and what you can't say. I mean, it, it's fairly fairly easy for stuff like that um i'm uh, i'm under various non-disclosure agreements with games workshop as well because yeah. um partly for stuff that that i've written that they haven't announced yet um because i mean like i can say that i've got two novels done for them that they haven't published yet but they haven't announced what those novels are about so i can't say anything okay. but also i get details of upcoming releases from them because I'm writing stuff about a year in advance for them of when it actually comes out so I need to if I'm writing something for you know something to come out a year from now it might well be focused on something that they're releasing a year from now which means I need to know when I'm writing it what's coming out which means I then can't talk about that to other people either so you get used to remembering what you can and can't say otherwise people get a bit annoyed with you yes yeah Interesting on that topic, actually, because obviously the the books you've written outside of Games Workshop mm -hmm. are your, you know, they're your books, they're your, from start to finish, the entire world, yep. you know, the Keiko series, the entire world is a world you built mm -hmm. and control. While Games Workshop, you're obviously, you're coming into a well-established world where you can write your own stories, but they've obviously got to fit in with a framework, I guess, and in yeah. that world so how is it adapting to that sort of style where you don't have quite so much control over um it's it was reasonably easy to be honest um i think it, it's each what each one has advantages and disadvantages so for for the keiko series my original space opera trilogy um yeah as you said i sort of i came up with everything i designed everything um, which meant I had to come up with all the rules. I had to work out how the science worked in a way that I was happy with. I'm not a scientist, but I had this thing of I didn't want anything to be ridiculously unrealistic. Uh, it had to feel plausible to me to be able to write it. So they have faster than light travel, but the mechanism I used for that was something called an Asubio drive, which is um, theoretical, but NASA... When I was looking into stuff about this, NASA were um, were doing research on it, thinking that there might be something behind it. And I was like, well, if NASA are doing research on it, that's good enough for me. I'm happy to say that, yeah, 500 years in the future, somebody's cracked it. Um, I think I did put artificial gravity in just because I couldn't be bothered to deal without, with everybody being in zero G. Yeah. But, um, but otherwise, most stuff I try to be reasonably... Not completely outlandish anyway. You know, I'm sure there's scientists that would read it and go, oh, that's ridiculous. But I tried to be sort of fairly um, realistic with it. And and that was that was kind of limiting in some respects because it meant that I had to put a lot of research in yes. to 
to work out what I was happy with. Um, you know, how long does it take to re-enter into a planet's atmosphere? It's that, that sort of thing that, I, that I'm not happy to write about until I, even if nobody else will question it, I'm not happy to write about it until I know what the answer is, more or less. Um, but then when I'm writing for Games Workshop, now I mean I started playing their games in about 1993, so I'm very familiar with the background. There was a long period of time when I didn't play any of their games, but I've caught up, basically. I, I knew it, hasn't, it hadn't changed that much from when I was playing in the 90s. Um, and or you have to make sure that you're sticking to their rules and their framework, as you say, but there's a lot of other stuff that you don't need to care about because in Games Workshop, ships travel faster than light by flying through a literal hell dimension. Okay. It's like, okay, they fly through hell, that's fine. Um, I don't need to worry about the science because that's the science. A wizard did it. Yeah. Space mutant wizards make them fly through hell. Cool. Um, so it's simpler. You don't have to make anything up. It's all there. Or you can make stuff up, but it's you don't have to make up as much stuff. So they, they it ha, each one has its advantages and disadvantages. One, you're just limited by your own imagination and, I guess, what you can sell to other people. But then the other one, a whole load of the groundwork's already been done for you. And if you can fit yourself around that, you're laughing. Yes, so. and obviously you've then also got um, a powerhouse behind you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's going to be very interesting, actually, because I... I have the you know, sales figures for my novels that came out, the Keiko novels, and they they came out under imprints of big publishing houses, but they were imprints. They weren't the big ones themselves. So I got published by Delray UK in the UK, which was an imprint of Penguin Random House, which is one of the big five yeah. global publishers. But Delray itself was reasonably small, a reasonably small budget. Uh, in America, I got published by Saga Press, which was an imprint of Simon & Schuster, which is another one of the big five. But again, Saga... It, it had reasonable resources and I sold more in America than I did in the UK and I don't not just because there's more people in America but again it was still a fairly small as these things go although it was part of a larger whole now I've been picked up by Orbit and they are a big publisher of science fiction and fantasy it'll be interesting to see a difference there um, and my was it, uh, two months ago now I think my first novel for Games Workshop came out and because of the way that these things work, you don't really see sales figures until quite a way down the line. So it's not going to be about March next year before I find out how many novels I sold between it launching and uh, the end of this year, because that's when the accounting periods are. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how many novels you sell for Games Workshop or how many novels I've sold for Games Workshop compared to what I've sold elsewhere, because... You don't. They they don't really get market penetration outside of their own yeah. their own sphere, but their sphere is huge, and they've pretty much got um, a a captive audience. You know, I've re, I've been in a few different Games Workshop stores since it came out, and every one of them has had my novel, which means that everybody who goes into one of those stores has at least seen it, and it was pushed fairly hard on the website and stuff like that. So, it is interesting to look at these things and see how far marketing and stuff goes, and and. Yeah, what, how big the audience is, that sort of thing. Yeah, and obviously that as well is, is something that's sort of beyond your sort of control. You you know, you, you obviously can promote it yourself, but yeah. there's only so much you can you can do once you've done the writing, the hard work. 
Yeah, um, I think for anything other than um, sort of self-published authors or authors with sort of small independent presses, the amount of impact that an author can have on sales is probably very small, minimal. It's down really to the publisher and their marketing, um, how far it gets, how hard they push it. So I have to see what happens. Excellent. And obviously that you said that was your first novel. Yep. And but you'd done some, um, some sort of short stories within. Um, yeah, I'd done a couple of short. Yeah, I'd done a couple of short stories. Uh, I did a novella, um, which was came out end of last year. Um, I think that's the one I've read. Yeah, is this about the, um, the female? Yeah, yeah, the female, female gang. gang yeah. Um, that was really fun to do, um, and that has been very well received from what I've heard. Um, so, no, it's been good fun writing for them. I have to say, I say because it's because it was something that I was used to and I knew the background of. It's been very easy to to sort of sit down and just knock stuff out, really, because it's not anything that that was particularly difficult to get my head around. And over the years, I've I've I'd written sort of bits of I guess you'd call it fan fiction anyway, um, not really for anything more than uh, my own amusement or. Um, sometimes little bits of, of flash fiction for gaming groups and stuff I was in, but I'd already done stuff in that environment. So, excellent. excellent. You mentioned earlier that you you played it a lot in the sort of nineties. Yeah. Then you stopped playing it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I know I think you back you do play now. Oh yeah. So yeah. what was that? Was it the writing for them that drew you back into the playing, or was it the other way? No, around? no. It was um, very simply. It was. Uh, it was a thing. It was a thing on Facebook. Um, I was. I stopped. I stopped playing actually not that long after I came to Nottingham. Bizarrely, enough. I came here for two thousand uh, in two thousand for university, um, and, and I didn't really have anyone to play with when I was here. And you know, when I first came up to uni, and the, the local game store did its game nights, but I didn't know anyone. And I think they had them on the Tuesday, which was when me and my mates regularly went to Rock City. So. I ended up just stopping playing but then I think it was about to be fair it was probably about nine years or so ago now um, I saw I saw a thing on Facebook of um, one of my friends clicking attending on uh, something called the uh, Warhammer World Necromunda campaign Necromunda was one is one of their games yeah. it's some of the stuff I've written for and it always was my favorite game of theirs so I saw that I just came up on one of the Facebook notifications of what your friends are doing so I said to my mate well what's this I'm interested in that and so I went along and joined in and that got me back into playing um, and as a result of getting back into playing um, and then because they because at that point he worked for Games Workshop um, and so I got to know some of the people who work there and got a wider circle of friends who play it and actually I was put in touch with one of their editors by someone that I met through, okay. like, who works there, met through playing and playing and playing and, and meeting different groups of people as I move through different games with, you know, you sort of, you're playing with someone and then there's someone, you meet someone new in the gaming group and then he's, oh, well, our game is finished for a while, but someone else is playing something new. And so you go and play with them and then you meet someone else. And so, yeah, a guy who worked there um, and I just, I just made um, a, a joking comment to him about, um, oh, I wouldn't fancy someone writing writing stories about this. With some, I, I think my my term was they wouldn't wouldn't want some randomer writing stories about this, would they? And his response was, "Well, you're not a randomer. You're a published science fiction author. I'll ask." 
And it turned out that yes, they did. So they sort of gave me a pitch. Uh, they, well, they said, you know, give us a pitch and give us a thousand words of a short story on this subject, which I did. And they came back and said, yeah, all right, we'll buy that. And that's from there. Yeah, it went from there. Um, so it is, a, it, it, to a certain extent, it was a case of who you know, but I still had to prove that I could do it. Yes. Yeah. So, which was, to be fair, exactly the same way as I got my agent um, for my own stuff. I tried... Um, because if, you, if you're going to get published by one of the major publishing houses, you need an agent. They won't consider anybody who is unagented because it's, that's like the first level of kind of filtering out the crap, basically, yeah. I guess. Um, which is not to say that there are people, there aren't people without agents who are really, really good writers, because there are. Um, and it, I think what this has all driven home to me is exactly how much luck is involved um, and how lucky I have been to get to where I am. Because... Um, I tried to get an agent. I sent out submissions to the stuff that I was doing to all the agents I could find that seemed to be vaguely interested in the kind of stuff I was writing, which at that point was urban fantasy. Um, and didn't get anywhere at all. So I gave up on that for a bit. And uh, I ended up on a website um, which was called Orthonomy, which was set up by HarperCollins, the publishers. And the idea of it was that... Um, you, you wrote stuff, you put it on the website, and it got upvoted by other authors. And at the end of each month, the five pieces of across the entire site with the most backings um, would just end up on their desk. So basically, it was kind of HarperCollins getting other authors to do their slush pile work for them. Yeah. So if everybody else in this thing says that this is good, we'll take a look at it, even if you haven't got an agent, um, which was an interesting idea. I went there just to try and get feedback on my writing, what can I improve? What I found was that it was incredibly political and everybody would just come to you and say, oh, I really like your book, please back mine. I'll back your book if you back my yeah. book. And so they'll back your book and you back that, but everybody only has five backings that they can give out at one time. So they'll give you your backing and you give them their backing. And then a day or so later, they'll take away their backing, hope you haven't noticed and pull the same thing with someone else. So they can hopefully get lots of people back in their book where they can still only using their mm -hmm. own five backings. Um, and, that, and no one would give you feedback because everybody thought that if you said something bad about it, you wouldn't back their book. So it was useless yeah. in terms of getting feedback. What I did end up doing was I found some writing by a guy whose writing I ended up really liking, a guy called Luke Skull. Um, and I started giving him feedback, honest feedback, on his writing because that's what it was up there for. He was, he was putting these chapters up as he was writing them, saying I'd be very interested in any feedback anyone could give me. So I did. He then got picked up by an agent who was trawling through the site and found his stuff. His agent said, get the stuff off the site, because if it's on, if it's on the web, then no publisher's going to want it because everybody can have already read it. So he got his stuff off the site. He got picked up, signed by an agent, and then his agent got him a publishing deal. Um, and so Luke contacted me and said, well, this is what's happened, um, but I very much liked your feedback. Would you be all right still giving it to me? So I said, yeah, because uh, I've been enjoying what I was writing. So he kept sending me stuff, I kept giving him feedback on stuff, he got the deal, he said, yeah, I've got the deal, it's all it's all sorted, um, I'll, you know, I'll put a thanks in the acknowledgements, and would you like me to put in a good word for you with my agent? To which my response was, yes, please, thank you very yes. much, yes, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I've given up on this, because I tried all the agents I thought I could reasonably find. Um, but it's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that would be nice. And so he did, and so his agent contacted me, and so I talked to him, and showed him what I was writing, and he was interested enough to take me on. So again, it was, 
I, again, I had to prove to the agent that what I was writing was worthwhile because um, eight or at least good agents don't ask for any money up front. They only make money if you make money. Yeah. They only make money if, you, if they sell something for you. So he needed to think that I was worth his time, and he did. But again, so I, try, I tried the proper way, putting through you know, some ink to agents, didn't get anywhere. Then I was nice to a random bloke on the internet I never met, and he returned the favour and mentioned my name to an agent, and that's how I got an agent. And, but if I'd never gone to that site, or and the person who told me about that website was the guy who I ended up doing a night shift on in the hostel I was working with. Really? This is, this is, how, this is exactly how much chance is involved. If I hadn't done that night shift, well, uh, it, was even, no, it was a late shift, not a night shift, but if he hadn't been working, if he hadn't mentioned it to me when he heard that I was writing stuff, you know, if I hadn't found Luke's page on there and given him feedback, I could still be going along today without an agent, without any books published. Um, it's it, that really brings home to me how much luck is involved and how lucky I've been. Yes, it, it, but at the same time, obviously, you know, you had these moments and you had the people that sort of open. Uh, it's cliche, open the door for you. Yeah, you had no. to go through. I like say, mm. it's not like you know the agent didn't just turn around and go. Well, he says you're good, so I'll take you on. You still had to. Oh yeah, um, but grab what, that when opportunity when it came. Yeah, what 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 it really drives home to me though is all the people who are just as good, if not yeah. better, than me, who haven't for some reason sort of how things are stacked up have not had those opportunities. So, I'm, I just try and look at it as, I mean, I think I think I'm a decent writer. People seem to think I'm a decent writer, but that doesn't mean that I'm a better writer than someone who hasn't got a book deal because it could just be they just haven't had the breaks that I have. Yeah, um, it's and so you, yeah. I try and remember, you know, don't you don't take anything for granted either, because um, there's not there's nothing to say that this will last. There's nothing to say that the good luck will continue. So, and it's interesting because you talk about the early days and like, mm. getting in there, and obviously, like I say you could have easily given up on that site from the sounds of it quite quickly before you had a chance. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how long you were on it before you sort of discovered Luke's work, but it it clearly wasn't doing anything like what you'd hoped no so as you say you you could have thrown a towel on that site in at any time and it's interesting that that site was all, was the sort of lint launch pad but in no way in the way no, it was no, meant not to in be. any way i mean it's, it's folded now which is kind of a shame because it was a decent idea but um and I, I must say some of the stuff that i did see get to the top, landed on their desk and did get published so some of the stuff that went through harper collins thought was worth their while yeah um, so it fulfilled its role to a certain extent. It's just for me, it fulfilled it in a very different way. But yeah, you you still had to. I had to keep going with stuff and keep persevering, but it worked out in the end. Because I think, and I'm I'm think I'm remembering this right. It's going back, but I'm fairly sure the first thing I read of yours was a short story in an anthology, which mm. I think was um, a, a completely different character. Uh, Simon says oh yeah well, that was one of my early urban yes. fantasy ones yeah and I think that was what you wasn't that that was sort of the area you were initially working on that you got quite a long way along in the stage with that book yeah initially. that the, the urban fantasy stuff um, got interest from the people who ended up picking up my science fiction one uh, Delray UK um, and it actually went all the way to the final acquisitions meeting um, but it fell down there because they said they just bought three other urban fantasy series and they didn't want to take on another one until they knew how those did. 
And so it was, what they said was, it's not that it's not good enough to buy, it's just that we bought some other stuff like it recently, so we don't want to take a chance on it. They said, but, you know, we know you can write now, come back to us with what you write next, which was, which was the science fiction one, which they did pick up, so. So that's interesting, again, because that's all, shows you as well the importance of timing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And things, and obviously, um, on keeping going, because you could have taken that, in you know that sort of reaction to that in different ways yeah you know some people yeah. you um, obviously the, the fact that they gave you that feedback and said come back to us is obviously massive and because it would have been so easy to go I've got so far I've put so much effort in you know I imagine it was difficult trying to keep your sort of feet on the ground through that process you know as it's getting step by step closer mm-hmm. to it was position. I think it was quite frustrating because certainly all the information that was coming back really, you know, the, the editor who was who was getting it was basically telling us that he was certain it was going to go through and everything, but it, it seems that the the, uh, the money people said differently. So, um, so yeah, we even my agent, who is normally reasonably cautious about these things, appeared to be treating it more or less as a formality that it was going to be successful, and then it wasn't. Um, but it was kind of... I suppose I kind of took it as right. Well, I'll show you then, you yeah. know. <laughs> um, which again, yeah, it's not necessarily an attitude that everyone would have. But it was literally, well, no. If you've if you've said that you think my writing is good enough to publish, I'm not going to give up now. And the next conversation I had with my agent was because he was coming back and saying, you know, obviously this has been you know really frustrating, but they do want to see what you're going to write next. So what do you want to write next? And the actual conversation I had with him was, well, I've got a whole bunch of ideas that I could work on, but there's no point in me writing something else that they're not going to be interested in. What do they actually want? You know, it wasn't it wasn't a case of writing to spec, but it was a thing, well, what do we know that they're actually after? And I'll see whether any of the ideas that I've got kind of fit it. Yeah. And that was what happened. And so so the in the discussion of the kind of areas that they would be interested in, the Kaiko sort of the idea for the Kaiko series was close enough to what they wanted, but I thought, yeah, we'll run with this one. I, there were several I would have been quite happy to to write about that I had knocking about in my head. I thought, well, I'll, I'll pick this one and see what happens with it. And, and that's what, you know, it was. I'd spent, I guess, on and off close to 10 years working on that urban fantasy thing because I'd written a couple of novels and some short stories and then I got picked up by the agent and I had to go back and write a different novel because the ones that I'd written weren't suitable for a pub or not considered to be the first novel in the series anyway. And so I spent all that time working on that, didn't get anywhere. And then after that message, I sort of, I took about a month to, a couple of weeks off, about a month to plot the new thing, three months to write half a novel, set them half a novel because they knew I could finish a novel now, so they were prepared to accept a half novel. And then they said, yeah, we'll buy it. So, you know, 10 years of work, didn't get anywhere six months of work off the back of a few ideas that have been floating around novel deal yeah it's yeah you can't i think that's one of the other things is people pour their 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 heart and soul into what they think is their life's work your life's work might not go anywhere um if you if you think you only have one idea um it might not be an idea that's going to appeal to enough or that publishers will think will appeal to enough people for them to take it on um you know I guess don't don't put all your emotional eggs in one basket. Would, yeah, would be, would be a sort of the way of approaching it. It's 
you know, I, I can't, I can't imagine that really, I guess, because there's a whole bunch of things that I always want to be writing about, but at the minute I'm writing about something else, so they have to wait. Yes. But I think I'm, maybe I'm quite lucky in that respect, I don't know. interesting as well that and that's like i think what you said then is a key point is that just because the novel you're writing you know doesn't go anywhere doesn't get picked up doesn't mean that wasn't a good novel mm. i mean it doesn't mean it is necessarily but there is so many other factors yep time and the marketplace yep you know what's what's the thing you know if, you know we went to a spell where sort of like you said the the what you'd call the YA young adult novels, mm-hmm. and they started, but they were huge, you know, when we were yep. at sort of the Hunger Games, yep. Hunger Games, Spell, Maze Runner, things like that, all seemed to, even if they didn't necessarily come along at the same time, they all seemed to get popular at the same time. Yes. And obviously that happens because, for example, Hunger Games is huge, everyone's looking for the next exactly. Hunger Games. So, and it's the same with film, you know, horror goes through a phase, yep. fancy superhero movies. Twilight killed urban fantasy because. Um, you had those things. Twilight got massive, and then also I guess the um, oh the 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 Southern Vampire Chronicles or True Blood as it was on TV okay, got yeah. big as well. And it kind of they built it up. Every I mean there was always there's already some urban fantasy out there uh, like Dresden Files, which I'm a big fan of. Yeah, um, and that that had been chugging steadily along for ages. And so that but then sort of Twilight came along, everything peaked. And then everything dropped off because everyone was sick of urban fantasy now and, and the publishers were saying the marketplace is saturated, which is another thing that Ryder didn't take a chance on mine. Um, and so, yeah, you, you can't... Something that's, been, that's a perfectly good serviceable novel might not get picked up because, not necessarily because it's not in fashion, but might be because it's viewed, rightly or wrongly, to be too similar to a lot of stuff that's come along already. Um, I think I had a a comment on something that I'd written a while back, which was uh, an editor saying, I, I think we are post-peak Viking. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, Vikings had, had crested, and this publisher now thought that there wasn't going to be so much demand for Viking and Viking similar stuff. I mean, because you... And and so they weren't interested in something, or, or did not interested in that aspect of it, because um, you, you're still going to get the the standouts in in any genre are going to keep on knocking along. So you know, the urban fantasy, Jim Butcher has been busy, but he's finished another Dresden Files one now. That series is going to keep going. You got um, uh, Ben Aronovich with the Peter Grant Rivers of London novels. The big series are going to keep going, but you're not going to get maybe new people breaking yeah. in at the minute. So. Well, not so much anyway. No, that's, that's yeah. And then obviously, as you say, you developed Kiko series and it's yep. from the ground up basically. Although, mm-hmm. as you say, it was an i an idea that you then ran with. And um, the interesting thing as well with that, obviously, is like you talked earlier on about the fact that it it sold better in America than it did in the UK. Yeah. To the point that 
the third novel was not released in the UK but was released in America. Yeah, there were there were other reasons behind that as well, in that the UK publisher had actually folded okay, before the third one right. came out. Um which was a, an interesting size. They they picked, you know, The Martian. Oh, the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah what it was a book first. Yeah, self published book. Yeah. And then Delray picked up The Martian and it sold them loads and loads of copies. And then this is this is rumour, but it sounds feasible to me, which was that the money people in the parent company went, Okay, when's the next Martian coming along then? And they couldn't produce the next Martian because the Martian had been like a lightning in a bottle. Yes. They'd found a self-published thing that went ballistic. And what and so they went from being a small imprint, you know, gradually steadily building up authors. So they had the one hit and then they were expected to replicate the hit yeah. and they couldn't do it. And so they got folded. Yeah. Um, Jeez. Again, look, if, they, if the Martian hadn't hit, maybe they'd still be there now. Maybe I'd still be writing Keiko novels in the UK now. But... Um, but they folded, so the third one never got published over here. Okay, I mean, I mean, it was. I think it was great because obviously there was a period where you didn't know whether there would be a third one, or you knew obviously did whether the third one would be released. Yeah, I think you'd already complete, obviously completed it. Hmm. So it was obviously, I imagine, extremely great when you the American was announced that it would be published yeah. in America, and it's obviously for people that were reading it, it was great. Although it's slightly frustrating that the don't match <laughs> yes because <laughs> i've got the two i've got the first two from here UK and then i've got the yeah um american one well like version of it but yeah i mean and it's it, but it just shows you so much again so much goes into it that's mm-hmm. way beyond your control yeah. you know you you can't yeah. you can you can't predict that what was going to happen with the publisher you can't predict no not um all. it's again like we said earlier you you're once you finish writing that and it's gone to the, you know, and you've had, it's been taken on. It's kind of out your, your hands, and you've kind of just got to, see, well, see what happens. But obviously, what happens then plays a massive part in your future. Yep. So. Yep. You have so little to a degree. Obviously, if it's no good, no one's going to read it. Although we say that some of the biggest selling books are terrible. I don't want to name any, but you, you know. Twilight might not necessarily the books, but let's just say something linked to Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> it's about as well. Yeah, I think we all know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, um, it's. I think it's. It comes down to does somebody enjoy something? If somebody yeah. enjoys something, then it's a good book for them. Yeah. Um, I have my own opinions about what is good and what isn't. Obviously, as as do we all. Um, but even again, one of my one of my favourite genres of movie is the absolutely ridiculous sci-fi channel. Shark movies. Yeah, I think we occasionally yeah. converse over that, yeah. don't we? Yeah, no, they're, they're, I find them brilliant. Yeah. Um, they're ridiculous, they're awful, but they're so enjoyable. Um, are they good? No, not by objective standards. Do I enjoy the hell out of them? Yes. So who cares? You know, people want to buy stuff that... I, I think the there is some things like... I mean, imagine what you were referring to as Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, there was... I don't. I don't care how well written they are or whatever. If people enjoyed them, they enjoyed them. I think one of the big critics of Fifty Shades of Grey was that it portrayed the uh, BDSM community in a very, very yeah, damaging, exactly. damaging and unfair way. You know, because there was a whole bunch of the the, the series as as from what I understand of it, I haven't read it, and that's not just me covering myself. I haven't read it. Um, it portrays some very, very questionable um, issues around consent. 
um, in sexual practices, which is not a healthy thing to be putting out there and saying, yes, this will all turn out fine in the end. Um, so there's stuff like that, which, yeah, you can look at and go, this is really yes. maybe questionable. But in terms of the quality of the writing, if someone enjoys it, who cares? I think that's agreeing. I've seen that a lot because I've seen a lot of books, you know, get criticism for what people perceive as being bad writing or people perceive as just being sort of wannabe versions of other book mm-hmm. series yep. and things like that. Yep. And uh, but I think, like you say, if someone's reading it, like you said, there's a, there's arguments over the con, you know, the the message maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just generally happy to see something that gets people reading. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, one of the best things from the Harry Potter series, and I think I know you're a fan of the Harry Potter series. Yeah. To a degree. Yeah. By not. And uh, but I think what that did for for children's reading at that time. Was or it felt huge. Mm. People, you know, I've seen so many people that said, oh, "I'd never read a book till I read Harry Potter." Yeah. Things like that, and I think it's probably, you know, it's in a similar way to what probably Roald Dahl did when yeah. I was a when yeah. I was a kid yeah. in that same vein. And anything, any, and especially in when we're in an age where there is so much other stuff to, you know, to sit down and read a book now when, you know, there's a everyone's got a phone next to it mm-hmm. distracting i mean i had a conversation a while ago with someone where i talked about reading and i i used to, i have a reading kindle mm-hmm. like that yep. on my phone and i i do use it occasionally sometimes it's handy on public transport but i just get too distracted because it's on my phone and that will mean i'm reading but then a message will pop up or a notification will yeah. pop up yep. so it's, i just i mean i i prefer a book anyway I like I, I lost like the feel of a a book, and I just feel it pulls you in more. Um, but also, it it's to me it's a way of switching off everything else. Yeah. In yeah. a way that I just don't do if I'm reading. I can't even I struggle to even read an article on a computer without getting distracted by Facebook. <laughs> Terrible for us. <laughs> it's really bad. But it's uh, anything. Like, but then again, but if that helps, some you know, if an app or an online program or whatever helps someone get someone reading I'm all the better for yeah, anything no, that definitely. makes reading more accessible particularly in an age where we're seeing less and less libraries and yeah depress- depressingly so so you, obviously you're working on your uh, your series I think you, you said you were on to the second writing obviously yeah, yeah. so um, I don't and you, you mentioned Obviously, there's, there's stuff you can and can't talk about. So how much can you sort of tell us about what this new series is going to be about? Um, I can tell you. I'm not under any non-disclosure agreements for this because this is my stuff. Yeah. Um, the only thing I couldn't announce was that they were the buying deal. it. No, the new, the new fantasy series is... Um, so I'm totally quite bad at pitching stuff <laughs> verbally. Um, it's set in, I suppose what you'd call a low magic to no magic world. Um, What I wanted to do was, amongst other things, look at the impact of belief, I guess, rather than necessarily truth. So you've got, I mean, there are some fantastic elements there. There are sort of fantastic beasts, you know, dragons and or what people call dragon, you know, giant reptilian things. Um, But generally I've tried to keep them roughly um, within biological limits if you like so they're not necessarily animals that have existed but animals that could probably theoretically exist 
Um, but it's about things so people worship gods and they believe in in magic and demons and things but i've tried to make it so that there's very little actually explicit that says yes this is a god this is a demon this is magic and tried more to put it along well it's not really so important whether these things actually exist what's important is do people believe in them and what does that belief make them do because if you believe that your God is real and is telling you to do this thing, then it doesn't matter whether the God is actually real because what you're doing is what's going to have an impact on the world. And so it's kind of, some of, it, some of it's about, about that. It's about belief and the impact of belief and stuff like that. It's also about, um, I guess what, what really kicked it off was the Brexit vote. Um, and... I got, I mean, I mean well, general, my general response to things is to get angry. I got angry with um, the result of the Brexit vote, what I felt was a very um, uh, isolationist and uh, xenophobic position that led to that. And I decided I wanted to write something about different peoples who don't actually end up fighting each other. You know, there's, there's so many fantasy novels, particularly, I guess, some of the ones that I was reading when I was younger, it's like, well, these are the good people and these are the bad people and there will be a war. And I just wanted to write something different. So I, I ended up writing about basically a group of refugees um, fleeing from a demon that's taken over their homeland and ending up in an, a different land, which historically their people have actually raided, but now they're coming there to live. Okay. And so it's this balance, they turn up at this sort of in the arse end of nowhere at the bottom of this country, which is out of the way of everybody. Um, and there's, there's quite a few more of them than there are of the people who actually live here. But they're turning up and going, you know, we don't, you know, I know like before, you know, years ago, we came and we fought, uh, but we, we just, you know, we just want to live here now. We don't want to cause any trouble. And so it's the balancing act between the people who live there. Um, if they try and resist, then these people could theoretically wipe them out and just yeah. live there anyway. But if these new people do that, then sooner or later someone else is going to realise that they're there. And over the country as a whole, there's a lot more people than they have. So both of them need to work together because one way or the other, one or both of them are going to get killed yeah. if they don't learn to work together. And that's and certainly the first one, the first novel in particular is is about that i mean there are other parts going on as well because it's quite a wide-ranging series but the core of it i guess for the first novel is about that this one group coming over fleeing disaster arriving and rather than doing what they used to do which was take what they wanted just sort of going no we, we want to make we want to be different we want to we want to learn to live with you and and make things work and it's about how they have to make things work and they do more or less make things work there are problems but it's it's about that it's about people trying to come together and make something better than what existed before um that's another thing that i find in a lot of fantasy stuff which is i tend to read mostly fantasy and science fiction a lot of fantasy harks back to a kind of golden age where things were better and you know we're trying to get back to that we want to restore the rightful king and if you restore the rightful king then the country you know, the country will be whole again and yeah. everyone will be happy and aragorn's brilliant you know that kind of which is 
which I think kind of feeds into the sort of political things we're seeing at the minute of harking back to this golden age where England was England and, you know, and everybody had adventures like the famous five and, and, you know, bunting in the streets and all that sort of thing, which was, yeah, maybe some of it happened, but it wasn't, you know, there was rationing and polio and God yes. knows what else is. Rose tinted. Exactly. I don't like this looking backwards because almost invariably looking backwards, it, it wasn't actually, maybe some stuff was better at one point, but almost invariably overall, the picture was probably worse for most people. It's there are some people looking who will look backwards into history and go, oh, well, things were better then. Is all it might be better for your demographic, but for people as a whole, it's probably worse because by and large, you know, technology, accessibility, medical care, all that sort of stuff has in general improved. And I kind of wanted the same thing for to be writing not not a fantasy series that's looking back and going, oh, this golden age we must restore. It's kind of no, no, make something better, move forward. Um, that's what I want the series to be about. It's about it's about finding a new way that's better than what's come yeah. before, building on it. Um, because you know, these two groups have different views for how they how they treat their own people and you know who has power in their own cultures and stuff. And I wanted neither one to back down. I didn't want either one of them to to back down for for the good treatment of the people that they value in their culture. So they 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 end up agreeing. You know, kind of valuing everybody, um, because not not sort of turning around and going, well, we're going to be assholes to everyone, man, but sort of going, well, no, actually, well, if, if you're not prepared to back down on this and we're not prepared to back down on that, then okay, but we we will accept, we will accept this. We will we will they growing to be more tolerant. Maybe that's not realistic, but <laughs> bloody hell, it's what I wanted to write. Yeah. I wanted to write something where people actually didn't weren't assholes to each other. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. But yeah. And then I think, I mean, that one of my sort of initial reactions was very much, I might say, that sort of thing of the rose tinted look back. And like I say, and, and you hear it now. I mean, one of the things that I find most annoying at the moment when they talk about, and the, and the longer it goes on, the more we find out about um, how long it's going to take till things get better or how much it's going to cost the economy. Mm-hmm. And you hear people think say things like, Oh well, you know this country got through World War Two. We can get through this. <laughs> Why would you want to put yourself? That was horrible. I mean, I've, I mm. wasn't around for it, but it's it's plainly clear. One, a lot of people didn't get yes. through World War Two. Yes, thousands of people around the world, hundreds of thousands of people didn't get through. Yep, it was horrific time. Why would you want to put yourself in this position to? Two choice, mm. you know. I mean, World War Two really wasn't a choice. I mean, it, you know, it was. Why would you choose? And it's such a weird argument. We got through World War Two. We can get through this. Well, I thought we got through World War Two, so we didn't ever have to get through this. Well, yeah, it was. It was. It's a bizarre thing. Of you've had that sort of conversation with people. Is oh well, we survived. Um, well, and we survived whatever. Well, you did. You might, you might have done, or, or your parents might have done, or whatever. But there's a whole that's that's just uh, what's it uh, survivor bias. Like, oh well, that was, we got through this. That was fine. Um, and well, yeah, as you said, there's a whole bunch of people that didn't. Um, so it's not. It doesn't never really struck me as a compelling argument. Quite apart from the thing that this is this is self inflicted yeah. rather than for political purposes, rather than 
you know, take, taking a hard decision that's necessary to avoid being conquered by a foreign power. Um, but yeah. I guess for some people that's what the EU is, but it's, yeah. I, I don't think you can compare the two really. No, and I think it feeds into, um, and that, which is one of the reasons I think it happened, Brexit happened, and one of the reasons a lot of this happens, is the, there's a almost still an imperialistic mindset yeah. um, to, you know, rule Britannia type mentality mm. in large parts of this country, which is why this sort of, um, well, look at us with the sort of stubborn Brits we got through the war. We completely ignored